Amen. Very biblical, scriptural song for us this morning. I want to remind you as you're finding your place in Matthew 20 that what we're doing tonight in observing the Lord's Supper, in my opinion for members of the church, is not an option. In fact, this is what the Lord said. This do. This do in remembrance of me. And uh, I want to encourage you to be back tonight. And uh, we'll, James will be preaching for us tonight. And then we'll come before the Lord's table and do that which he has given us to do. You know, it doesn't say we do this at home. And there's no other institution that God has given uh, permission to or allowed them to do what we're doing tonight. This is for his church, for his body. And we want to, uh, we want to make sure that you do your best uh, to be here i to ask you a question as we approach the subject matter of the day. Uh, how many of you this week, you pulled into the gas station and you sat in your car and somebody came running out of the gas station and they, what are you laughing for? And they took the nozzle off of the gas pump and they asked you how much you wanted and they pumped gas into your gas tank. How many of you, you did that this week? I want you to raise your hand. Linda does it, but I got to tell you this, it's somebody at work that does it for her. She's not tall enough to reach the gas tank is what it is. <laughs> Bless her heart. So other than Linda, she, and she's one in a million, I'll tell you that. Nobody has done it. Now how many, let me, let me do it this way. How many of you were alive and remember the day that gas stations did that raise your hand okay keep your hands up for a second okay put your hands down you remember you used to when you pulled in the gas station there was a cord across the parking lot ding ding and you stopped and somebody would stop what they were doing they're wiping their hands as they came out and you'd tell them how much gas you wanted and then you, they would ask you, or you would pull the latch on the hood, or back in that day, there were not latches on hoods, but uh, you'd open the hood, and they'd check the oil. And they'd wash the windshield. And, and they'd put air in the tires. It was <laughs> Somebody said, let's go back to the good old days. Let me remind you of what car you were driving at that time, too, all right? Good old days are not always the grand old days that we think they were. Uh, one of our, our graduation speaker a couple years ago, Pastor Creed, got up and he said, I was a magnificent athlete when I was in high school. And the further I'm longer that I'm out of high school, the better athlete I was. Uh, it, what he's saying is my memory it may be a little different than the actuality. Full service. Can I tell you this? The, there used to be a world where people were geared towards service. Good service. I'll tell you this one, we'll get into scripture. I was, we were on vacation, and we went to Disney World, one of my favorite places not to go. And uh, we, I forget which world we were in, but it was horribly crowded. I was in a, I had on tan khaki pants and a yellow shirt. And we had gone through the whole day, the kids were younger, we finished up our day, we watched the fireworks. None of them are in here. Yeehaw! We watched the fireworks and all that. It's just, it's time to go. So we were coming out of the park, and all day long I'd had people asking me questions, and I didn't know why. Why are you asking me that? 
And so I, I was making my way quickly by all of the tourist traps on the way out of Disney World, the ones where they had the flashlights and all that that the kids want to buy. Okay, so I'm making my way quickly through that. And Sonia and the kids are coming through a little slower, and Sonia's family, some of them were there with us. And I'm standing, I, I, I'm at the gate at Disney World, holding the gate open as the herd is coming out. I wanted to start going, but I remember that's what you do on the way in when you're going through all those cattle troughs. So I'm holding the gate, and people will come out, people will come out, people will come in. And I'm tired of holding the gate. And I thought, what? Well, these, somebody, it's got to be somebody else's turn to hold this gate. I don't mind holding it for a few people. And then this woman stopped, and she took me by the hand. Now, now I'm getting uncomfortable. And she said, I just want to say thank you. And I said, well, you're very welcome. And I'm where you are. I think she's thanking me for holding the gate. She said, thank you so much. We have had a wonderful day. <laughs> you folks put on the best show of anywhere that we have ever been. And I want to thank you for your hard work. It is at this moment that I'm very uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. And so I just say, oh, you're very welcome. We're glad to do so. Now, that was a lie, but I, I said, well, you're very welcome, because I still don't know what this lady's talking about. And then I looked around, and the entire staff at Disney that day had on khaki pants and a yellow shirt. So to her, that's what I look like. We live in this day called Serve Me Day. Even among spiritual things in Christianity, we have a serve-me attitude. Even when it comes to the cause of Christ and the church of Christ. When people are looking to find a church to call their church home, in this day, most people look at this. They look at the church and they say, what can the church offer me? What can the church do for me? How can the church serve me? We live in a different generation of people. I want to look at this topic of service today. You see, because it's really not about, and I've got a note here this morning, I, I'm still here somewhere, I uh, got a note from Gabby this, uh, this week, and uh, and she's coming back in from college. And here's what she said. I read this to adult Sunday school class. I can't wait to come home for the summer and get involved again at Landmark. Not I want to come back to Landmark and sit and see what y'all have for me. She says, I am more than happy to serve in any capacity you need this summer. Please don't hesitate to plug me in wherever is needed. We're going to plug her in. <laughs> now, you don't, you know, you'd think, I've been in college for the whole two semesters. I'm ready to park. But her heart is, I'm ready to serve. I like that. If, 
ever leads you to the place of looking for another church, don't look for a church that can serve you. Look for a church where you can serve the Lord. Now, in Matthew chapter 20, we'll have two portions of Scripture that we'll read today. Matthew chapter 20, and if you are able to this morning, would you stand? We'll read verse 25 through verse number 28. But Jesus called unto them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Somehow would you mark that word even as we're seated in a moment. Let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came not to be ministered to, but to minister. Let's pray together. Father, now help us please in the time that we have allotted for this day to learn a little bit more about what you expect from us in our service to you. Teach us from your example as you came to be a minister and not be ministered to. Uh, please help me as your servant to be in the position that you can use me to speak to your people and may the things that you have placed in my heart be the things that are mouthed from my words. And I pray your blessings upon them. Now meet with us and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And be seated, if you would, please. And as you're seated, I want you to be finding your place in John in chapter number 13. John chapter number 13. That word minister. The word minister means to attend to the needs of others. To be a servant. Now, servant defined as a person who performs duties for others. Both are the things that we're to do spiritually. As God has saved us to bring us to a place of service. Now, in the book of John chapter number 13, we're going to see Christ do something. We've been in this passage before. We're going to see Christ do something that is different from what you would think the character of the Messiah would be. Men had been arguing for a long time over who's the greatest, who's superior, who has to serve who. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Joseph revealed his dream to his brothers? And his brothers were angry because Joseph's dream when interpreted, gave the thought that his brothers one day would bow to him and would serve him. And they became angry. It was their anger that brought Joseph to that place that in the later years he was able to serve them. And you remember what he said, you meant it for evil. Truth is, brothers, what you did, you did for my harm. But God still had a plan and purpose for me, and you became a part of it. 
God needed me in a place, and you put everything in place to come to that place. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And through that, God allowed Joseph to be able to feed his brothers and then bring them to Egypt and then locate a place for them to live. And they survived great famine. And at that time, they realized Joseph's dream was true. Men are always about the authority. Who is the authority? Now, in John chapter 13, let's begin, if we may, in verse number 1. And again, this isn't what you would think a Messiah would be doing. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour, that hour that we talked about on Resurrection Sunday, that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, and the devil now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing what the Father had given, that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherein, wherewith he was girded. There is no glory in washing feet. These are not the chiefest of servants here. Sort of a side note, I know that Remy's memory verse this week, they stayed with us, and his memory verse for Awana's was this. Beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel. Are you laughing because he said it to you? Yeah. Beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel. I was sitting in the living room, we were going over that verse with him, and my socks were off. His first doubt of the scripture. <laughs> we were on the way in in the vehicle. I was going over his verse again with him coming in. I said, no. Remy, let's go over your memory verse again. What's the address in Romans? And we, we went through that. I said, and what is it? He said, how beautiful are Papa's feet. And I said, no, 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 no. That's not what the scripture said. That's not what the scripture said. The days of the scripture, anyone who had the gift of hospitality would take care of their guests, provided when they arrived, they provided a basin and water and someone to wash the feet. See, the feet got rather dirty in those sandy conditions. Most of the time wearing sandals, and when they got there, of course, their feet and ankles and lower legs would be dirty. And this was not a glamorous job. Most of the time there was a servant. Now let me tell you the truth about it. Most of the time it was a slave. A servant was a person who worked with you. The slave was something, and I'll not get into the, what I think about the legalities of that this morning, but no one should ever own someone else. And it was given to the lowest of the slaves. And the basin would be filled with water and someone would stoop to wash dirty feet the lowest of the low. 
Now picture this, they have just had the Passover, and Jesus rises, and he takes off his garment, his outer garment, and he picks up a towel. And he wraps that towel around him, and he girds it in from what Scripture says, and he sits down to wash the feet of the disciples. What we read in our first passage of Scripture in Matthew says that He came not to be ministered to, but to minister. I want to look at a few things this morning backed with the question of what does true servanthood look like? I think it would be interesting to have a full-service gas station these days. I was driving through New Jersey a couple of years back, pulled into a gas station. The bell went off and a guy came running. I got out to pump gas like I normally would anywhere. And he said, sir, sit back down in your car. And I said, well, i got to pump gas. And he said, no, I'll pump it for you. And I'm cheap. I said, no, I don't want to pay you to have to pump my gas. He said, no, sir, in the state of New Jersey, it's illegal for you to pump your gas. There's a lot of things of service we'd like to go back to. What does it look like to be a servant? I want you to notice with me, first of all, in both of these passages, servant leader, first of all, knows who they are. They know who they are. Jesus is still the model of our leadership. Let me tell you some things that Jesus knew about himself. He, first of all, he knew his origin. He knew where he had come from. He knew who he was. Jesus remembered that he had come from God. He knew that he had come from glory in John 13 when we first read in verse number one Jesus knew that his hour was come and notice it talks about departing out of this world to the father Jesus knew his origin Jesus also knew of his destination he knew that the ministry that he would have on the earth was but for a short time Jesus knew that the time had come as our verses said this morning and that he would be returning to God and Jesus knew when he came to do what he knew what he came to do. He knew when it was going to be done, and he knew that it would come to an end. He knew that there would be a destination. He knew his origination. He knows his destination. And he knew about his authority. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that it was given to him of the Father. He knew that all things were given unto his hand. Jesus knew his origin, he knew his destination, he knew his authority, and he also knew his role. In Matthew in chapter 20, and verse number 28, it speaks of that. He knew that he did not come just to be served. He knew he did not come just to have folks gather and sing and praise Hosanna and lay palm leaves as they did the week before his crucifixion. He knew that he didn't come to get the praise of men. In fact, he knew that he came into his own and his own received him not. There are those, and I agree, that the, he came to the Jews, and the Jews said, no, you're not the Messiah. There were those within his own earthly family that did not accept who he was. He knew he was going to be rejected. He knew what his role was. He knew that he came to serve. Within that role... Within that role, he knew what he was to do. He knew, and I tell you this today, 
God the Father has a role in your salvation. God the Son does not perform the role of God the Father. God the Holy Spirit has a role in our salvation. But He does not have the role of the Son. The three trinity, the triune God, every part of God has something to do this morning with the salvation that can be yours and ours. They have their particular role. We know that God the Father planned before the, even the foundation of the earth what He would do to bring back man unto Himself. God the Son was the provision of that. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so the plan of the Father, His role was planning it, making all of it happen, orchestrating everything through the lineage of time, bringing people, every person into play, every character to that exact one moment when Jesus Christ would be born. And he orchestrated it all. The Son provided. He was the provision. And then for us to receive salvation, the Holy Spirit is involved. What part does the Holy Spirit have? The Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, woos us. You first of all, in order to be saved, have to understand who you are. Like it or not, we have to admit this. We are sinners. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that helps us to see that we're sinners. It's the Holy Spirit of God that calls us to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says it this way, He woos man unto Himself. He invites. So all three play their role. Servants have to understand their role. Everyone who is on a team has to understand their role. Everyone who is in a military service in the army has to understand their role. I was flying back from somewhere not too long ago and was seated next to a young man. He had graduated out of Fort Lee and he was going into his military service. He was going to Mississippi, if I remember right, going back home for two weeks and then he went to his place of operation. And so I struck up a conversation with him. We were talking with him. I said, uh, what, is, what is your job? What is your MOS? What do you do? You know, what, what is your training to do? And here's what he said. Oh, I just work at the mechanics depot. And he said, basically, I pump gas. And he said it like, oh, that's all I do. I said, let me tell you something. If I'm in the army and we're put in a battle place, a battlefront, and I get into my tank or my striker or my Humvee or whatever it happens to be, and I'm making my way out to the front line battle because that's my role, if I run out of gas, you become the important figure. So, young man, I'm not in the army, but I want you to understand this. There are no small roles. There are no insignificant roles. I have uh, veterans oftentimes say, well, I wasn't, you know, I didn't join in a battle time and I've never been. No, but you played your role. Jesus Christ knew what his role was. Servant leaders, servants know that they're following God. He knew that he was fulfilling God's will. 
The truth is the only when we come to the knowledge that we belong to God will we ever become servants. Number one, servant leaders know who they are. Number two, servant leaders know their goal. The same passages of Scripture, what was Jesus' goal? And he mentions that. His goal was love. Now love, I know I've read numbers of different things that say love is a verb, but love is also a noun. Love is not just what Jesus did. It wasn't just his action. Love is who God is. It's not just what he does, it's, it's who he is. Notice in our verses that we read this morning, it said this, having loved his own in this world. Having loved them, he had shown that he loved them. The Bible, not just the Bible, but even humanity tells us that love is the greatest motivator of our lives. So he showed them that he loved them. Jesus' goal was not just love. Jesus' goal was service. Let me compare the two pieces of Scripture this morning. Jesus takes off his outer garment and he wraps himself with a towel around his waist and he poured the water in the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and then he begins to dry them with that towel. Prepare to serve equipped to serve and willing to serve you remember what our text said he came not to be ministered to and I, I i think all of us this morning know that as we started our time together this morning we live in a world that wants to be served we live in a world that wants to be served right now we want things instantly we want things done for us we're less interested in this generation in doing for others than we are others doing for us. And that is the direct opposite of the example that Jesus Christ left with us. In fact, I wonder, as he stoops to wash these disciples' feet, let me remind you of the hearts of some of the disciples. They had been in a place, and Jesus had been teaching for several days, and the people had gone without the nutrition that they need, and he knew that they needed sustenance, and what are we going to feed them? And one of the disciples said, 200 pennies worth is not enough. Now, when you don't love someone, you're not motivated to do for someone, you're, you're more in line to do what that disciple said, 200 pennies worth are not enough. Send them away. Not serve them, send them away. Let them fight for themselves. That's not a servant's heart, is it? I wonder while Jesus is kneeled down and he has that disciple's feet who said that in his hands. I just wonder, did he look up at him? Did his eyes catch Jesus' eyes? He said, send them away. You know what Jesus said? Because Jesus loved them. And because Jesus was a servant, he said, no, no, we're not sending them away. What do we have? Well, five loaves and two fishes. And you know the rest of the story, how that he blessed it and he broke it. 
And there was more than enough. Why? Because Jesus was a servant. But here he is, Jesus was washing the feet. Jesus is washing the feet of another disciple whom when Mary was anointing the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet, not with a towel, but with her hair. And here sits a disciple who says, this money could be spent a lot better. I wonder if Jesus had his feet in his hands and just sort of looked up. And you know people that can talk with their eyes without saying a word. Jesus has the disciples' feet in his hands. And that disciple had just recently asked the question, who is the greatest? Would you set me in authority? Would you put me in the place of prominence? And here the Messiah is with his feet in his hands. And then comes Judas. I will not serve those who do that to me. Most of us in here, if we were in the place where Jesus was when Judas came and sat down and prepared his feet to hit the basin, we'd have said, sorry, we're closed. I know what you're about to do. But into the water went Judas' feet. And on to Judas' feet went the hands that would soon be pierced. And he washed his feet. I wonder, did he look up at him? And I wonder if Judas was even capable of looking back. You know, there are times in our lives where someone may make eye contact with us, but we do everything we can not to contact eyes with them. We've seen it in children before. Did you eat that cookie laying on the countertop? Now, that wasn't asking children. That was my wife asking me. I wonder if Jesus, when he had Judas' feet in his hands and he loved it, regardless of what he was getting ready to do to him, I wonder if in the eye of Christ there were not a tear. I have loved you. Judas rises and moves about, and the scripture says he went about to do what he had planned to do. Picture this, the whole time Jesus was washing his feet, Judas has $20 in his pocket, about the amount of the exchange of 30 pieces of silver. And then Peter. Peter, who is going to, in a very aggressive way, curse God and deny Jesus. And Jesus wraps his hands around Peter's feet and he washes his feet. Jesus explains to us in John chapter 10 and verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again.
He says again, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter number 2. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. Remember what Jesus did when he was getting ready to wash the feet? He took off his outer garment. But he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men. Boy, that's reverse. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus' goal was to demonstrate love regardless of the cost. Can you imagine the God of creation today today washing your feet? This is not to lord over anybody or to say, look what I have done for you. He's doing this as a means to teach greatness to his disciples. His disciples thought greatness was your authority. His disciples thought greatness was your accomplishment. His greatness, the disciples thought, was thought determined by who you were and who you knew and what you had. And Jesus is teaching them a physical lesson. Greatness is involved in your service. Who do you minister to? And he took the bowl and he took the water and he took the towel. I wish I could tell you that it changed their lives tremendously, but for many of them it it did not. The disciples, after Jesus now had stood and finished washing their feet, they stand to go into the garden and he calls them to prayer remember the scripture says that jesus was sorrowful even to death and he sweat as if it were great drops of blood he's in emotional anguish knowing that the cross is right before him this is the hour everything has led up to this i find an amazing verse said for the joy that was set before him He endured the cross. In other words, he saw through the cross to the other side of it. As they get to the garden, he gives the disciples whom he has just washed their feet. The lowest thing that a person could possibly do. And he asked the disciples to do this. Would you watch and pray for an hour? You would think that during their watch, they'd talk about what just happened to them. But when Jesus came back to where they were, what were they doing? Asleep. Not once, not twice, but three times. They were sleeping. They had been given the opportunity to serve. Well, serve who? Serve Jesus. You remember what he said? Could you watch and pray? He told them, I am overcome. I'm sorrowful to the point of death. They should see that and desire to minister to him. How can you help but see someone that is in a condition like that and their spirit is so heavy and you want to do something to lift them up? But not the disciples. They were content to sleep 
Jesus had taught them. They had seen his illustration. The scripture gives us two men, two bowls and two towels. One was Jesus Christ. The other was by the name of Pilate. Pilate was given an opportunity. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 19 through verse number 24. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye release that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They said, Crucify him. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that they could prevail nothing, but that rather a turmoil was made, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of his blood. You see, Jesus washes the feet serving others. And Pilate washes his hands serving himself. Putting himself in place. The Lord Jesus teaches us tremendous values of lessons from this. There are two bowls, two individuals. Can I ask, as we come to an end, a conclusion of this service, can I ask you this? Who are you serving? If we were to evaluate each of our lives today that are in this room, to sit down and evaluate, who are we serving? Are are we, could we prove in a court of law, if we were to stand in the place of law and have to give account of ourselves and our service, who would the court come to the conclusion that we're serving? Are we, as is a seemingly traditional thing of this generation, are we busy serving ourselves? Are we Pilate? Looking out for our best? Pilate didn't want to make Caesar angry. He didn't want to rile the Jews up anymore. He didn't want to leave his office and his position. He didn't want to deter, he didn't want to say, no, I'm not going to crucify him. I'm going to let him go. And then have them appeal it to Caesar and Caesar fire Pilate? No, that's my lifestyle. I don't want to lose all of that. Therefore, I'm going to serve myself. So I ask you the question, who are you serving? And how? How is it proven that that's who you're serving? Jesus is the prime illustration this morning. And the scripture says he did not come to be ministered to. He came to minister. He came to serve. He came to provide for the needs of others. And when all of the disciples were disciple-oriented, me-oriented, Send them away. I don't want to deal with that. This could be spent better. This money could be used in a better way. And all of the Thomas and his negative outlook on everything. Thomas the doubter. Look out for me. Look out for me. Look out for me. And because many Christians have that attitude, there's no one looking out for the lost. Christ said, I didn't come to be ministered to, but I came to minister, to serve others. And folks, let me, let me say this and I'm done. God saved us, I've told you before, not for the purpose of taking us to heaven. 
If that was his purpose, you would have accepted Christ and you would have died and be gone. But he saved us for us to serve. So I don't like serving. You're not going to like heaven. Somebody said, I can't wait to get to heaven and just lay back and float around on a fluffy cloud. That's not what heaven's about. Jesus said we're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to serve him. So if you don't like service here, you're not going to like service there. Who are we serving? Who's serving the lost? What place, what role are you playing in service of the Lord? We talked about the different roles that people play and different roles that people have. We talked about the Trinity and the roles of the Trinity. And the church has roles of people to perform in service. Are we serving the Lord as he served us? Are we doing what he has left the illustration for? Are we willing to do what we think is the lowest of the low? Or are we too good for that? Are we above that? And here's the scripture. Serve the Lord with gladness. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Not a prominent salvation message this morning.